The text for our uh, sermon this morning is just the 15th verse of John chapter 1, but since we haven't read the uh, entirety of the introduction for a while, let's put this in context. I'm going to start reading in John 1, 1, and read through the 15th verse, reading from the New American Standard Bible. Let's give careful attention to the public reading of God's Word as it's found in John 1, 1 through 15. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of, the, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word to each of our hearts this morning. Let's pray. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by your word, which is truth, and who has called us to engage in the study of that word. We pray that you would sweeten this part of your word in our hearts and our lives, that we might grow together in our knowledge of you and ourselves and the world that you have made, that we might more enjoy the calling you have given to us and that we might honor you more along the path of life. Praying in the name of the Lord Jesus, your Son and our Savior, who reigns together with you, one God and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, be seated, please. We um, are going to pick up the pace today. We're going to cover a whole verse. Uh, One sermon, one verse, as opposed to uh, two sermons, one verse. We've been looking at John 1, 1 to 18, where the Apostle John is introducing us to the Messiah. So that as we go through the rest of the gospel, we'll know who this Messiah is. Uh, We've seen that the Messiah, the Word, was in the beginning. He was the agent of creation. He was the light and the life. And then, then John, the Apostle John, throws in a parenthesis about the witness, about John the witness, whom we normally think of as John the Baptist. And then he goes on to talk about the, the, uh, the true light, how there were mixed responses uh, to the Messiah, uh, but the fact that the Messiah is God incarnate. God become flesh. Now, in this verse, we come to a second parenthesis that the Apostle John throws in. Uh, and it's a, that's why the title uh, of the sermon is John the Witness again. Uh, 
Uh, and in fact, if you're reading in an NIV or if you're reading an ESV, you'll see that those two translations have put verse 15 in parentheses. Uh, trust me, Greek doesn't have any parentheses. Hebrew doesn't have parentheses. But they have ways of indicating that material is parenthetical. And the translators of the ESV get that. Translators of the NIV get that. And so they put this verse in parenthesis. In, in the first parenthesis with regard to John the Baptist, as we've just read, uh, we were told that clearly John the witness was not the light. But he was in fact a witness to the light. Now, in this second parenthesis, the Apostle John wants to tell us a little bit more about the witness of John the Baptist. And uh, he wants to go into a little bit of detail on the nature of John's witness and then on the content of that witness. So let's look at those two things, starting with the nature of John's witness. And uh, the Apostle John... uh, tells us two things about the nature of that witness. First of all, it's very focused. Have you ever been talking to somebody and as they're telling you about something, um, it's kind of scattered. Uh, It's not real lineal. Uh, They talk about this and then they jump to that and then they go over here. There's kind of like no focus in what they're saying and it's up to you to kind of figure out what the, the thread is. Some of you are smiling. You know these people. Well, that's not John the witness. John's witness was very focused. Notice the two things that he says in this verse. Uh, The Apostle John says, John testified about him. There's a focus not on John, but on him. We read that in verses 6 through 8 already, uh, where the, uh, the... the John the Baptist was saying that, that, that he, the Baptist, was not the true light, but he came to testify about somebody else. There was a focus not on John, the witness, but about the light, the light which was coming into the world and that would enlighten every man. It's interesting that when this introduction to the gospel is over, and we go to verse 19 in John chapter 1, we read... This is the testimony of John. So John the witness is playing a key role in the gospel. We get these two little parentheses about John the witness. But then in verse 19, we're going to develop a full storyline for a while about who John the witness is. But uh, notice what it says, this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? See, they want to know who are you. Their focus is on you, John, but notice what John does. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. See, he's shifting the attention away from him. They ask him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. See, there was expectation that, a, that a, an Elijah figure would come, that a prophet figure would come, that ultimately the Christ, the Messiah would come. And they want to know, John, who are you? We're really interested in you. And then they said to him, who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Notice what he says. He said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness, 
make straight the way of the Lord. Now, you have heard me preach an entire sermon on one of my pet peeves. I know preachers shouldn't do that, but sometimes it gets the best of me. And that is when you hear in Christian circles the idea that it's not about you. It's about God. You come into worship, forget about yourself. It's not about you, it's not about God. I'm not going to preach that whole sermon again. You've probably heard it about a half a dozen times in a variety of ways. It is about you. God is covenantal. I am your God and you are my people. Uh, And so I've beat that drum a little bit. I've also said, however, that I think what people are trying to say, or what I wish they would say, is that it's not ultimately about you. It's ultimately about God, and that's what this text is telling us about John. John's witness is focused. John has a really important role to play. He gets a parenthesis in the introduction. He gets a second parenthesis. He's going to get a whole storyline starting in verse 19. John is really important to the whole program. But John knows that it's not ultimately about him. And so he is shifting the focus because his witness is very focused. It's a witness that is on another. Uh, As it says back in our verse, John testified about him. And it also says, says, this was he of whom I said. John is, in fact, not bearing witness to himself, but to another. And most of our translations say something like, this was he of whom I said. Uh, The text could better be translated a little bit more tersely. This one. uh, This one. About whom I was speaking. It's It's a way of pointing and focusing on the Christ, on the Messiah. John's... Uh, John's witness is a very focused witness, and it's also an urgent witness. Uh, Notice that the text says, John testified about him and cried out, saying. Uh, We've also talked in the past before about the fact that the New Testament is written in Greek, but the, uh, the author's were mother tongue speaking what language? Hebrew, probably Aramaic, close cousin. I'm, I, I, can't, I was chatting with my wife last night and I said, oh, I'm really reading a really interesting book. And she gave me that look because she knows I'm not a reader. She said, okay, what are you reading? I said, it's called The History of the Hebrew Language. <laughs> but it is a fascinating book. Uh, and uh, it's, a, it's a book about what, what uh, I'm, I'm in the part right now where what Jews were speaking in, f- in the first century, not only in Palestine, but in the diaspora and the influence of Greek and Aramaic and, and how Hebrew was falling into uh, to disuse. Um, but at any rate, Greek wasn't the first language of John. And so when John is writing, even though it's in Greek, you can hear his mother tongue coming through. Uh, And uh, you know people who are bilingual, and uh, you know that although they may be fluent in English, often their mother tongue comes through in the choice of a word, in in an expression, in the order of words, that it it just doesn't quite sound like the way a native speaker of English would do it. That's the case here in this language of cried out, 
saying. It's actually used frequently throughout the Old Testament. It's not good Greek, very good Hebrew. Let me give you just one example out of Genesis 3.9. The Lord God called to the man and said, or we could translate it, the Lord God cried out saying, where are you? And John uses this expression, cried out saying, quite a bit. And whenever he does, the context is always one of the urgent, the important. So when our John the Apostle says that John the Witness testified about him and cried out saying, we know, because we're all good speakers of ancient Hebrew, that's triggering in our minds that what's about to be said is urgent for us to get. It's really important. And uh, so the, uh, the nature of John's witness is it's focused, it's urgent. For example, in John 7.37, now on the last, uh, the great day of the feast. Now there are actually three, there are actually three big feasts in the, ancient, uh, uh, in the, in the life of ancient Israel. But notice John doesn't say which one, he just says, the feast. What's he presuming of his readers? That they're going to know which of the three he's talking about. And that's often the way the Bible comes to us. Uh, the authors presume that their original audience knows certain things and so can fill in some blanks. Uh, but we live many miles away, many years away, and we can't always fill in those blanks. And so there's a gap in our reading of the Bible. He's talking about the Feast of Tabernacles. It's the last feast. It's the big feast. It's right at the end of the dry season in Israel where they're waiting for the coming of rain. They haven't, they haven't had any rain at all for five months just sunshine and blue skies. They're farmers. They need rain in order to start the next agricultural year. That's the feast at which Jesus cries out saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Urgent. Important. Or we go to the latter part of the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verse 6. So when the chief priests and the officers saw him, Jesus, they cried out, saying, Crucify. Crucify. The urgent, the important. That's the nature of this focused witness of John the Baptist. Now, what about the content? The Apostle John tells us three things about the content of John the Witness's witness. He starts by saying, he who comes after me. And after me is just, you know, after me. The fact is, Jesus was born six months after John the Baptist, So John the Baptist has a certain priority in that culture, right? The older is uh, a little bit more honorable, has a little higher standing. Um, 
John 1, 27, the, bap, the, uh, the, the witness says, he who comes after me, 1, 30, after me comes a man. John was very aware that Jesus came after him, and therefore John had a certain cultural uh, supremacy in the relationship. But when, when John says, he who comes after me, this is another one of those kind of loaded terms that, that John's original audience got immediately. And we might need a little bit of explanation. That phrase, uh, he who comes, that phrase could very well be paraphrased, the Messiah. In other words, in Palestine, in the first century, all Jews were living with an expectation of the coming of the Messiah. And one of the ways they referred to the Messiah was the one who is to come. So this isn't just talking about somebody coming. It's a technical term. He, the Messiah could be called the one who is to come. This is rooted in a, in a whole theology in the Old Testament that expects God to come sometime and make things the way they're supposed to be. Just one example, Psalm 118, 26. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And Psalm 118, where it's sitting in the book of Psalms, is clearly indicating that there's a hope that the son of David uh, is eventually going to come to bring about God's kingdom. A couple of examples from the Gospels in Matthew 11. With regard to John the witness, this is a little surprising. Now when John, while imprisoned, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for someone else? See, John the Baptist got confused. Have you ever been confused? Have you ever been confused about what God is doing in your life? You're in good company. You're in the company of John the Baptist. See, John the Baptist was living like a first century Jew with the expectation that the one to come was going to arrive. And he began to think that Jesus, the one who was born after him, is the one to come. But you know, John's idea of this one to come, while it had a lot of biblical stuff in it, it was overlaid with a lot of human thought that didn't really align with what God was planning for the one who was to come. Uh, Many first century Jews expected that the Messiah was going to come and first and foremost was going to bring deliverance, was going to bring redemption from the oppression of the Roman Empire. And so they expect a Davidic military Messiah who's going to lead them back into the glory days of military independence and political independence and social independence like in the days of David and Solomon. And so John had some of this no doubt going on in his head. 
And when he sees, notice what it says, when he sees the works of Jesus, what he's actually doing, he begins to scratch his head. And he's in prison, so he can't really do anything about it, but he sends some of his disciples. Go talk to Jesus and just ask him straight out, are you the one to come or not? Doesn't look like it, but are you? Should we look for somebody else? And uh, interesting that that's when uh, Jesus says, well, remember what Isaiah said. That the Messiah was going to preach the good news to the poor. He was going to bind up the brokenhearted. Uh, Isaiah didn't say anything at this point about him coming to deliver from the oppression of Rome. But he's going to be a preacher of the good news. And he's going to come and do things like heal the sick and raise the dead. Uh, He's going to make the lame walk. He's going to bring the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is then reorienting John. He's kind of redefining for John what John should be expecting out of this one who is to come. Uh, One more text from Mark 11, near the end of uh, Jesus' ministry. Those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The crowds at the triumphal entry, they're sure that Jesus is the one who is to come. But they, too, still have a lot of human ideas laid on top of the Bible's understanding of the Messiah. And so should we be surprised at all that when that is stripped away, it's not too long before they are saying, not blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, but crucify him, crucify him. You see, through the witness of John the witness, John the apostle, wants us to have a clearer understanding of who the Messiah is so that we will not become disillusioned. How often is it the case that we are disillusioned with God, but as it turns out, we're not so much disillusioned with God as we are disillusioned with our own preconceived ideas of who God is and what God should be doing in our lives. And so these 18 verses are wonderful as they're orienting us to who the Messiah uh, truly is that we might not be disillusioned. The content of the witness, he who comes after me. Yes, he does have a kind of social priority because he's born after me. But John's already hinting that he's special. He is is the one who is to come. I am not. And then John says that he has a higher rank than I, which is a good translation. uh, But it kind of takes away some of the intrigue of the text. If we were translating the text a little bit more literally, we would say, after me comes one who is before me. And that gets us thinking. It's a little bit puzzling. John, how can there be somebody who comes after you, born after you, but yet 
is before you, comes before you. Well, John, I think it's really good to translate it that way, except for the fact that we miss the point. But it does help us to feel the text. There's a a certain perplexity in this text. There's a certain mystery that somebody could be after and before at the same time. Uh, Before me is not to be read literally here, but it's to be read metaphorically. And it's expressing greater importance, greater rank, which is why the NASB says he has a higher rank than I. See, there's one who comes after me, and from all social expectations, I should be in the superior position, but he is before me. He has a higher rank than I. Look at John chapter 3 and verse 25. Therefore there arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples with a Jew about purification. John and his disciples, they were really interested in theology. They're really getting into discussions. They want to know things. And they came to John, that is John the the witness, and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. This is kind of like turf war starting. Like, what's going on here? Uh, we're, we're thinking of you as this you know, high-profile person, but yet now more people are going to him than are coming to you. What's going on? John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. John knew that everything he was and everything that he had came down as a gift from God. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said... I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. You know that hymn, content to fill a little space, if thou be glorified. That was John. John understood uh, that, that the Christ was the one that had the higher rank. And when he saw the Christ being elevated to that higher rank, his joy was full. And so he goes on to say, he must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. That's the Messiah. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. That's John the Baptist. He who comes from heaven is above all. And that's why the uh, New American Standard is right on target when it translates this expression, uh, he was before me as he has a higher rank than I. Ultimately, it is not about John. It is about the Christ, the Messiah. Now, how does John know this? See, he says, he who comes after me was before me, and then he gives us a reason. For he existed before me. Now, wait, John, we all know that Jesus was born six months after you. I mean, we know the families. 
Uh, we, we brought, you know, the balloons and all of that at your birth and his birth. Uh, we know that, that he didn't exist before you. What, what are you saying? Well, let's go back to our uh, Greek grammar and our verbs. This is our by now familiar verb, ain. Remember our friend ain? We haven't talked about him for a while. That verb that is used to, at a minimum, hint at the pre-existence, the eternal pre-existence of the word. That verb that is used in John 1.1, in the beginning was, not, not the verb became like in the rest of creation, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, that's our verb again here. John says, he was before me. The NIV translates it as he existed, fair enough, but that does miss the connection with all the other wases in the text. He was before me. Let's go to one more text. John chapter 8 and verse 48. There, I'm jumping into the middle of a dispute between Jesus and some Jewish detractors. The Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan? Uh, that, that's not a nice thing to say about somebody. The Samaritans were considered, on a good day, half-Jews. On a bad day, Gentiles. Uh, you are a Samaritan. Um, they weren't being politically correct, or the text would say, you are uh, an uh, S-word. This is a pejorative thing. And have a demon. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, and the prophets also, and you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Surely, you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. And you have not come to know Him, but I know Him. And if I say that I do not know Him, I will be a liar like you, but I do know Him. And keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and he was glad. So the Jews said to him, You're not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Now that deserves at least a sermon or maybe a series. 
And maybe we're going to go there after the uh, last sermon on the introduction. Uh, Going back to Exodus. And Moses saying, when I go to the people of Israel, whom should I say sent me? And God said, I am. And there are statements throughout John where Jesus simply says, I am. And often our translations blur it a little bit because I am is a weird thing in English, and so they throw in a he. I am he. But like this one, it's better to leave it terse. I am. And then, of course, there are those seven well-known I am sayings in John. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd, uh, etc. Maybe we'll go there. But notice, I am. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him. They got it. They got it that Jesus was saying, I am the great I am. And they took that to be blasphemy. And it would be blasphemy if he weren't. But he was. And he is. And John the witness understood that. And so John the witness said, he was. Should we preach a sermon on the meaning of the divine name out of Exodus chapter 3? We'll have to learn the distinction in Hebrew, get your Hebrew grammar shoes on, between saying I am and he is. Because only God can say I am. And so when we refer to God, we don't call him I am, we call him He is, because we're speaking of him in the third person. Uh, John said, for he was before me. Now, in conclusion, I want to try to jump in. I'm not going to try. I'm not channeling John the witness, but I'm trying to think like John would think. If John the witness were here this morning, I think he would say this in conclusion. I know the title of the sermon is John the Witness again. I know the two main points are the nature of John's witness and the content of John's witness. But I just want to remind you in conclusion that this text is not ultimately about John the Witness. It is about he who comes after me, who has a rank higher than I, Because he existed before me. John would say this text is ultimately not about me, even though it's a parenthetical remark about me. See, it is about me, but it's not ultimately about me. It's ultimately about your Messiah, congregation. It's ultimately about your Christ. It's about who he is. And the rest of the gospel is going to spell out what he has done for you, submitting to that cry, that urgent cry, that important cry, crucify, crucify. When human plans do not know that they're being taken up in a grander divine plan so that the final work of the Messiah can be accomplished in his death and then his resurrection And then his ascension to the Father's right hand, where right now he's praying for you. 
until he comes to make all things new. It's about your Christ, who he is and what he has done, so that you can know him better, so that you can love him more. I think John the Witness might also say, let's respond by singing Trinity Hymn 649. More love to thee, O Christ, more love to thee.